Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the TV rates and buy ratings and determines our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and today we carry on down the 1995 highway looking at the October 16 versions of Raw and Nitro. A quick survey of the landscape tells us that we are one week away from the In Your House Great White North pay-per-view on the WWF side of the fence, and two weeks away from the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view in WCW. Now, as far as the ratings go, Nitro drew a 2.2 on this night, and Raw actually won the battle with a 2.6. Now, that about wraps us up, because nothing else noteworthy happened this week. Oh, wait, 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 no, I tell a lie. We did have one note worth talking about uh, in the professional wrestling landscape in this week back in 1995, and that is an incident you may have heard about coming from Syracuse, New York. Shawn Michaels, who was out clubbing with Shawn Waltman, ex-park at this time known as the 123 Kid, and the British Bulldog, began to hit on a girl in the bar who was either the girlfriend or ex-girlfriend of a Marine who didn't take too kindly to Shawn Michaels' uh, braggadocious way, should we say and took exception to this. From here, we're told that Shawn Michaels was not so kind in backing off when asked, and when they went to leave the nightclub um, under some, let's say, they were nudged out the door. That's probably the nicest way to put this. Um, The Marines caught up with them on the outside. Um, The WWF side of things says that there were 10 of them and they trapped the British Bulldog and Sean Waltman in the car while proceeding to drag Sean Michaels out and pound his head in, uh, repeatedly slamming the door on his head. Um, Truer life, or what the court of law believed to be true, is there was probably three or four of them and it wasn't so much that they held Sean Waltman and the British Bulldog down as that they were too drunk and or drugged to do much about the assault. So one of the first really big stories to break in the midst of this Raw and Nitro run, uh, we'll go into the shows and see if it pops a mention on either of the programs. Now, as is customary on this show, we have flipped the coin. Jack Tunney's actually taken us to Nitro first this week, so we're heading over there now. Let's do it. This week's Nitro is coming to us from Albany, Georgia. Our commentary team is Eric Bischoff, Steve Mungo McMichael, with Pepe dressed like an alien, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, The big talking point on commentary to start us off is can Ric Flair and Sting trust each other? If you remember from the last show on the timeline, uh, Ric Flair had challenged Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson to a match saying he would go at two-on-one if he couldn't find a partner. Apparently on WCW Saturday night he asked Sting to be the partner and Sting has accepted. 
From there, we go into our opening contest of the night, and out first is Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll, aka Kimberly, looking exceptionally hot. Um, and we find out he's going to be defending against Johnny B. Bad, his TV championship, and that he cost Johnny B. Bad a US title match. They show a bit of a recap of the angle, where basically Johnny B. Bad had had flat tyres, um, but he'd only said one tyre, and DDP uh, outed himself by saying when you had four flat tyres. Uh, this is in a little bit of a talk a segment in the back with Mean Gene. When Johnny B. Bad hears this, he levels DDP with a left hand and knocks him out cold. DDP gets into the ring, and next out comes Johnny B. Bad to a really strange big pop. Um, didn't think he was this over, but fair play. Um, we're told that there'll be a rematch at the pay-per-view in two weeks' time of this match, despite who the winner is tonight. Um, and before the match really gets underway, DDP with the TV title nails Johnny B. Bad in the back of the head, um, lays down to count the pinfall, but the referees actually disqualified him. And that's the end. We go to a Halloween Havoc ad. Never mind the fuss about the first match, though, because pretty quickly we're told we're going into our next matchup, which is going to be Chris Benoit debuting up against Eddie Guerrero. And as far as I'm concerned, there's only one word that can describe this revelation. And after splicing that one in to appease Mark, we'll get into the match now. Benoit and Guerrero starts off with a really cool-looking Benoit arm drag before they go into a bit of a exchanging of leapfrogs. And then they exchange some head scissor throws as well before Benoit ends up on the outside of the ring. Guerrero fakes out a dive, similar to the 619 fake out that Ray used to use in WCW. And then... Guerrero goes up to the top turnbuckle and comes off with a huge body press, the same one he used on Milenko a few shows back. The action ends up back in the ring, and Benoit puts Guerrero up for a big back suplex, but actually drops the two of them over the top rope in a really cool-looking spot. On the outside, Benoit takes the steel post, and then as he's lay up against it, Guerrero throws a forearm, which we think connects, but mostly arm to post that he's now selling the arm as well. As we get back into the ring, Benoit shows why he was considered probably the best technical wrestler, certainly in North America at this time, if not the world, as he goes to work on the arm with a cool-looking back suplex with the arm folded in behind, and then a northern light suplex also with the arm folded in behind. Looks very slick. The commentators at this time as well are putting over Benoit as a big deal. They're really singing his praises, calling him the crippler, saying how he's an awesome technical wrestler, he never gives up, he's tenacious, just really doing a good job of getting him over on debut. We see some more vintage Benoit offense as he hits that classic dynamite snap suplex before he goes for a tilt-a-whirl, which Eddie Guerrero counters with an arm drag. Very cool-looking spot there. And then sort of a springboard DDT where, holding onto the arm, he runs up and bounces off the middle of the top rope before flipping into the DDT. Another really cool spot. Gets him a two-count because Benoit gets his foot on the ropes. Uh, not too long later, Benoit is back on the offense. It's a nice-looking short clothesline, really sick. And then he unloads with the chops. He beats the shit out of Eddie with some of these chops. Really good, hard-hitting, stiff action here. Bischoff can't help lament that this is the only live action tonight if you like wrestling. Another little shot at the competition that are becoming a staple of 1995 Nitro. Benoit continues to go to work on the arm, but Guerrero does momentarily get back on offense, hitting a move similar to his springboard DDT before, but this time when he bounces off the rope, he comes out with a Rana. He returns a favor from earlier and folds Benoit up with a huge back suplex of his own before hitting a really cool-looking brain buster. 
And at this stage of the match, Mongo McMichael, for some reason, decides he wants to keep calling it stupid. Just This is about the third time in this match already where he's thrown out a phrase like, if you're not into this, you've got rocks in your head. If this isn't the best action you've ever seen, you're stupid. I don't know what he's trying to do, but he's starting to get on my nerves. Guerrero goes up top for his frog splash, but Benoit manages to get the knees up, blocking that, before hitting a wicked powerbomb, really spiking Guerrero into the mat, but only earning himself a two count. The end is not too far away, though, as he gets Guerrero up in a full Nelson bridging suplex for the three count, another really good-looking move. These two just... They worked together like magic. It was beautiful. It wasn't the longest match, and certainly not their best match, but right up there with best match of the show so far, as far as this podcast goes. I would say, really, the only one off the TV show so far that's rivaled this would be the JL Sabu match we talked about last time we were on Nitro. These two are definitely neck and neck for best match of TV so far. One last positive thing before I do move on from this match, unlike the Malenko Guerrero match from, I think, the show before last, the crowd seemed to be a little bit into this. They weren't super hot, but they were respectful and they popped at the right times, and they didn't hurt the match, which was the main thing for me. We throw up to the commentating comment commentary team even uh, before the commercial break and they speculate on the possibility of a cruiserweight title coming to WCW and it's here really where I notice the first chink of the armor after they've been building up Benoit where they talk about what an awesome cruiserweight champion he could be. Heenan tries to salvage it by saying you put one of these cruiserweights in with one of the big guys and that'd still be a hell of a match Um, but anyone who knows WCW's history knows where this kind of thing heads. Before we do get to that commercial break, they throw back to Mean Gene, who's plugging his WCW hotline. He says that a WWF official has been sacked, and which WWF superstar has had a fight with a fan? I'm not allowed to talk about it on the air, but if you call the hotline, I'll let you know. For this, he earns my dick move of the week for two reasons. One, chilling his hotline and not giving us anything, so therefore wasting TV time. And two, not having anything about his own company, just trying to get you to pay for gossip about the competition. Not cool, Gene. When we come back, Kevin Sullivan and the Giant are out to cut a promo. Kevin Sullivan's promo went a little something like this. I'm evil, 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 evil. And somewhere in between, he managed to throw some elongated words, giving himself a... I'm not American, but I'm assuming a Boston-type accent, because he reminded me of of something out of Ted, saying that I'll break your heart, and that Kevin Sullivan plays the part. I know I did that no justice, but in my head, that's how Mark Wahlberg and the guy that voiced Ted sounded. We're given our usual shill for this week's WCW Saturday Night, and told that Disco Inferno will face Alex Wright, that... The Macho Man will face Hugh Morris, and IRS will face Hacksaw Jim Duggan, as well as a special appearance by Hulk Hogan. Disco uh, Inferno makes his usual step out to the stage to dance to his song, but this week he's not messing with the with the opponent coming out after him because it is Meng coming out in a weird-looking sort of mask cape type getup, looking a bit like a budget Lone Ranger. And he's out for his matchup against perennial non-favourite of mine, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who Bobby Heenan quite accurately refers to as a 300-pound termite. They trade punches and, and kicks and things early on, nothing really happening, before Meng misses an avalanche and a crossbody, and Duggan goes back onto the offence with punches and hits his first wrestling move of the match in a body slam. Uh, Meng does manage to get back up pretty quickly though and nails him with a pretty decent looking super kick before putting on his nerve hole known as the spike. This actually wins the match. Holy shit. For two reasons. It's over already. And I never saw Hacksaw Jim Duggan job to anyone. So good on you WCW for getting this happening. Good on you of course being my 
typical Australian coming through there, so just to rub it in, that's not a knife. This is a knife. Oi, Mr. Prime Minister! Alright, moving on. Next up, we get the Dark Side Hulk Hogan in his black and white with Jimmy Hart, also in black and white, and now they've got the black and white Hulkamania uh, green screen effect. Um, harking back to the WWF days where he'd always have that effect behind him. You, you get the picture if you didn't see it at this time in WCW. Um, he's talking about pretty much just the WWF when he said something along the lines of I can make promoters drop to their knees and cry when they realize that Hulk Hogan's bigger than their whole organization um okay no problem at all and of course in his now new evil persona he still manages to trade five-year-old insults when he calls his opponent the big stinky giant I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast because he said it a lot on the show can I help it Thankfully, after this, it's time for our main event. So the Hulk Hogan fact is pretty minimal on this show, which is great. <coughs> Excuse me. And we go to Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman up against Ric Flair and Sting. Just as a quick interlude as well, if my voice is sounding really off tonight, I've got a little bit of a head cold on the go and I've been nasally all day. I'm starting to think I'm sounding very high-pitched, but the head might be telling me lies, so apologize if I'm not. Uh, and otherwise, apologies for interrupting the show for nonsense. The heels come out first, followed by Ric Flair, who comes out solo and gets in the ring and the match starts. Uh, He and Brian Pillman trade chops early on, and then Flair ends up going after both of them. The commentators are speculating that maybe Flair was trying to set up Sting, um, but that couldn't be the case now because he's clearly attacking both guys in the ring, and if that was the case, they wouldn't be fighting each other. Crowd are getting hot with a really good We Want Sting chant, getting into it, which is good. Um, and then Arn finally gets a hold of Flair and gets on the offense. But not for too long because Flair gets back into it, going to the leg and goes to put on the figure four, but actually steps over the wrong way. Never seen that before with Flair. For a move he's done probably 10,000 times, I found it strange that he botched it. Pillman makes a save, however, and then we go into the Ric Flair in the corner spot, flipping over the top, but in a really neat spot, rather than falling to the outside, he chops Brian Pillman off the apron, runs up to the opposite turnbuckle, and comes off the top rope on Duan. Unfortunately, a short time after this, Pillman gets in with a kick from the apron, and he walks into Arn Anderson's lovely spine buster, which is hopefully um, a good thing, because Sting comes out to help him from here. Uh, while he's out on the apron, Pillman hits Flair and hits Sting as well to get him fired up, get the crowd worked up before we do get the hot tag, which comes not too long after. Um, it comes courtesy of a missed drop kick, which, if you've been listening to the show, Wrestling Logic, uh, Pillman sells, Flair gets a tag. Sting comes in and he gets on the attack on both of them. He's over like crazy. The crowd are really into him. Hits, gives both guys a couple of Stinger splashes. Clotheslines them both over the top rope, and they simply walk off and accept the count out for a bit of a cheap ending for the main event, truth be told. Gene comes out to interview the babyfaces, and we're told there will be a rematch at Halloween Havoc, so that's something, uh, I guess, making up for the non-ending here. Sting says that he was watching from the back, and he wanted to see if Flair had heart, which he did, so he came out to help him. We get a quick rundown of what's going to happen on Nitro next week, and we're going to get Sting and Lex Luger teaming up next week to face Harlem Heat. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko up against Alex Wright and Eddie Guerrero, and Hulk Hogan will also be in the house. That does it for Nitro this week, so let's head over on and see what's happening with Raw.
we cut across to Raw that opens up with Corporate Kane. I'm sorry, Isaac Yankum DDS cutting a promo inside the classic blue cage. It fades out and we've got Bret Hart cutting a promo in the classic blue cage. And that cuts out and Jerry Lawler's cutting a class, uh, promo in the classic blue cage. All three of them use cheesy dentist puns. Not really the way to sell a blood feud steel cage match, but hey, that's what we got. We go to the Raw intro, and then we come back to find Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler on commentary, and Triple H's music playing. He comes to the ring and sprays Vince and Lawler with some perfume, a la Rick the Model Martel's arrogance. Vince tells us that Gorilla Monsoon has fined Mabel and Dean Douglas $7,500 each over last week's incident, attacking The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, and Diesel, and that Gorilla Monsoon will be here this evening to tell us who will face The Undertaker at Great White North. In describing the attack on The Undertaker, he uses a bit of an awkward line where he says Mabel and Yoko repeatedly coming down on The Undertaker's face. It just sounds a little bit strange to me. When we get into the ring, uh, we hear the familiar music of Doink, and we're going to have Doink up against Triple H. If ever two errors collided, this would be it. A strange contest. Uh, Doink comes out and he looks shorter, he's wearing a different outfit, I'm not sure who was playing him at this point, um, but he does start the match with a pretty amusing nose hold on Triple H, who's not, um, he's not showing a little bit of nose, is he? Um, he hits a body slam and Jerry Lawler straight away says, what about the HBK in Syracuse incident? Vince McMahon cuts him off and doesn't let him talk about it as Triple H takes over. He... He stays on the action and does his usual curtsy uh, before Doink gets back into it with a sidewalk slam, but unfortunately follows up with a missed elbow. Uh, we have a small package from Doink for a two, and then a backslide from Doink for a two as well. But when he comes off for a crossbody, Triple H ducks and hooks him into the pedigree, which Doink takes with two, na- two knees. Uh, car- uh, blah, 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 I cannot speak. A la Kane and Chris Jericho from Fully Loaded gets the one, two, three, and Triple H just batches of doink pretty easily. We go backstage and Barry Horowitz is Americanizing Hakushi, schooling him on baseball. When we come back, it's time for PG-13 up against the Smoking Guns for the WWF Tag Team Championships. PG-13, we're told, on their way to the ring, are the USWA champions, and we get an inset promo on their way out from them as well, uh, mocking the Smoking Guns and saying the two boys from the ghetto are going to take the titles. And we then get an inset promo from Gorilla Monsoon, who tells us that it will now be Yokozuna facing Mabel at Great White North. So much for the fan-friendly president. The matches start with Billy Gunn in the ring, who hits a good hip toss and some punches to both of them, before sending uh, the two PG-13 members into each other and tagging Bart. Bart's in there with JC Ice, who is doing some horrible karate poses, looks like an idiot, and as he turns around, Bart fucks him up with a clothesline, really hammers him. He then does go for a big back body drop though, but JC Ice in a really cool spot manages to land on his feet. Unfortunately, he goes for more stupid karate poses and gets hit with a big press slam onto Wolfie D. Not too long after this, the action ends up on the outside of the ring, where Public Enemy take turns beating on Billy Gunn in a really funny spot. Bart comes to chase one of them off around the ringside area, and as he gets to the other side of the ring, the other one just comes in and beats Billy, so he goes to chase that one, and they carry on like this for a couple of turns. They go back in the ring and they manage to get some double team offense on Billy Gunn, but not for very long before Billy Gunn slingshots one into the other, hits a hot tag to Bart, who comes in, nails both, and the guns hit their sidewinder finish and pick up the three in what was slightly above a squash match, but not by much. 
we get a promo of the Bertha Faye and Alondra Blaze uh, feud and told that that's going to be coming up for a rematch next week. So first women's match on Raw of the timeline so far. We come back to the ring for Dean Douglas up against Joe Dorgan, a um, jobber that I've never heard of before. And during the match, we pretty much go into oversell about Shawn Michaels. Um, Vince tells us that Shawn was attacked by 10 thugs in an unprovoked attack. Jerry Lawler attempts to tell us the truth and really fixes the math, but Vince continues down his path of lies, um, trying to save face for Shawn and put him over as being heroic, um, getting hopped up on pills and drunk and chasing after a girl that you've been warned not to is not heroic, but Vince was in love with Sean at this point and he could get away with murder. They end up getting Sean Michaels on the phone, who tells us it doesn't look good, he doesn't feel good, uh, and somewhere in the background, Dean hits a perfect plex on the jobber for the 1 2 3, which was completely ignored. Sean tells us he'll be at the pay per view, not sure what kind of condition he'll be in, but he will be there. This actually, shout out to Richie, gets us our Hammerlock rating of the week as the worst match. Nothing too offensive, so I'm going to give it 3 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale. But the fact that the whole match went on without the commentary team saying a single word about it, A, reminds me of 2016, and B, hurt its credibility somewhat. Backstage, Doc Hendricks is trying to shill us the Two Dudes with Attitude t-shirt with slogos and pictures of both all over it. $20 plus $3.95 shipping and handling, and if you've been listening to the show, you know you're getting a free unnamed cassette and you have no idea what's on it. Let's hope it's not one of Sonny's recent showings. In a strange point, just on that before I move on, he tells us it's one size fits most. I don't know about you guys, but I've never heard of a t-shirt that's one size for everyone. I'm guessing they've just got double XL left and then you're going to shill them as it's baggy for some people and not so baggy for others. They begin to build the big blue cage and the small shark cage for Jerry Lawler at ringside, and while they're doing that, they hype the British Bulldog vs. Diesel for the pay-per-view. The smoking guns are going to face the 1-2-3 Kid and Razor Ramon at the pay-per-view. Fatu is going to face Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the pay-per-view, and Marty Jannetty is going to face a debuting Goldust. We come back and Goldust is cutting a promo in the back uh, with movie quotes directed at Marty Jannetty, the standard early Goldust fair. Then they recap the Mabel and Undertaker feud before we get a Paul Bearer promo talking about how hurt his Undertaker is. He'll never be the same, he'll never look the same, but he will be back. Oh yes! And then we get a promo telling us that next week we'll have a 20-man battle royal for a shot at the Intercontinental Championship, whoever is holding it at the time. Some foreshadowing of events to come there, and if you are a WWF 90s historian, you probably already know who drops a belt without getting beat. We come back and it's time for the main event. Isaac Yankum DDS up against Brett the Hitman Hart in the classic blue steel cage. Vince informs us that Raw was brought to us by Tycho. Unfortunately, she went to the doctor and got lipo with your money. If you weren't no chump, you would have hollered, we want prenup. Yeah. Earlier in the match, and DDS is pounding away on Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, before Brett comes back with an inverted atomic drop and a good clothesline, he takes over control for a while, attempts to climb out the cage, but DDS grabs him, slams him to the mat, and he goes for an attempt at getting out of the cage before Brett grabs him. This sort of back-and-forth attempts at escaping goes ba- both ways a few times with both of them trying to get out um, before Tim White cannot get the lock open for some reason. On commentary, Jerry Lawler is smiling and Vince is a little bit suspicious. It turns out Jerry Lawler has swapped the padlock, not the key. He's holding the real padlock in his hand. 
The match is pretty plodding and slow at this point. There's not a lot happening. And a bulletin comes along the bottom of the screen telling us that it's the WWF's hotline's turn to sell us some information about Shawn Michaels. Just call up one number no longer active and you'll be able to find out all the backstage goss on what's happening with Shawn. Back on the action and Brett somehow gets a sharpshooter on DDS who taps like a drunk man. Uh, but when he goes to escape, Jerry Lawler is there climbing up the cage to stop him, which brings out Gorilla Monsoon and a bunch of officials who grab a hold of Lawler and throw him in the shark cage, as per the stipulation if he interfered, that's where he will be going, and they raise him up in the air. The match continues at much the same sort of way it's been going, with a couple of shots and attempt to climb out a block, a couple of shots by the other guy attempt to climb out in a block, it's pretty dull at this point. Uh, the footage starts to pan up to Jerry Lawler up in the shark cage, who we notice now has a nosebleed in an incident that actually got the WWF, WWF a little bit of heat at the time, because they had a no-blood policy. Um, and what Jerry Lawler had actually done was pick at a scab that's a long-term issue in his nose, knowing if he picked it at a little bit it would bleed. The blood was dripping to the mat, and it cost the WWF some heat um, with their no-blood policy, as I mentioned. The match is still continuing in much the same slow fare, so at this point I pick up my phone and tweet long-time listener Richie and offer him a shot at one of the viewer's choice slots. By the way, there's still two of those open if you leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And back in the ring, Isaac Yankum hits his DDS, aka the DDT, for a failed escape before Brett stops him again, who then goes into a 10-punch in the corners, goes for the Irish whip but is reversed and chest first into the buckles. Jerry Lawler drops the key to the padlock from the cage, which Bret Hart gets a hold of and throws up the aisle. He then hits a bulldog on Isaac Yankum, a backbreaker, a second rope elbow, and gets the escape for a pretty lame ending to a pretty dull cage match. That's it for Raw, no real afters or anything, um, just the cage match, which was pretty long and plodding as I mentioned. So from there we're going to go and pick ourselves a winner on the five point scoring system. Picking our winner for this week, and we start off with Crowd Heat, which we award to WCW. Not sure if it's due to the fact that they're live, making everything seem a little bit hotter, but the crowd did seem to be more into WCW, particularly Sting. Uh, match quality, we're also going to go with to WCW, based solely on Benoit and Guerrero. That was really awesome. Um, again, the TV time constraints and whatnot. In 1995, these shows were only an hour. They were never going to get a 25-minute classic, but a really good, enjoyable match, so that's going to win the award, hands down. Better than anything either side presented outside of that. Um, nothing really stand out outside of that either, so it is a one-match night. For characters, we're going to go with the WWF, just barely. Um, there just wasn't enough developed characters in WCW. Um, I know it comes with not having watched it for years and missing some of the pay-per-views and whatnot, um, but... Meng and Duggan didn't seem like a big deal. Benoit and Guerrero um, hadn't been there long enough. They were building Benoit up, but it was early on in the piece. Um, and DDP and Johnny B. Bad was a total waste of time. So the characters, you know, not all 100% there yet. Whereas in the WWF, everyone we saw had a developed character, bar really PG-13, but they got squashed anyway. Presentation again goes to WCW. It does just look more big time at the moment. Um, slicker, newer, and really a, a lot... It just looks better. As for storylines, we're going with a tie this week, taking the easy way out. A um, little bit of storyline advancement on both. They've both got pay-per-views coming up, but nothing groundbreaking, nothing amazing. Just good, solid development of the stories on both sides of the fence, which will lead us to another WCW win. Um, 
finding it interesting at the moment how much I'm preferring some of the nitros to raw. Um, the booking seems to be focused in nitro lately on having good matches and building up the main event, which is a pretty decent formula, something the WWF would get right later on. Um, whereas over on Raw, it's sort of up and down. They put main event guys in the opening match and they put jobbers on late. Just no real rhyme or reason to some of the Raw shows at this point. Um, obviously reeling in their worst year in the company history and facing stiff competition from a new slick show. Um, it would probably be another year or so, I imagine, before they start to get it together. That'll do it for this week's show. Before we do wrap up, however, I'd encourage you all to go and check out ThunderPod. Uh, Sean Long, who sent in some comments on the show here a couple of weeks back and who has been one of my followers from early on, has... Um, put together a podcast he's put his debut episode up on soundcloud it's now on itunes as well i believe um if you could go and listen to that check him out and give him some feedback it'd be much appreciated uh, nice guy and it's a decent uh, debut episode as well um you might have seen me on twitter i'm still looking to get some of the reviews up um on itunes when i go and search the podcast um we're getting a lot of listens but we're still not related to any other podcasts so we're probably needing to get the word out to a few more people who listen to wrestling podcasts and can subscribe to us and put us in the category with the other wrestling podcasts but i believe they base that on how many people subscribe to you and what they most subscribe to otherwise um best way to do that is to get some more five star reviews so if you've been listening um from the start and you've not left me a review yet a, shame on you. B, if you could do it, please, that'd be very much appreciated. The next two five-star reviews, if you give me a yell on Twitter, you do get to pick an episode. Um, coming up in the pipeline pretty soon, we're going to have WrestleMania 10 up against Spring Stampede. WrestleMania 10 was actually the next show I was up to on my just regular viewing progression before I started the show and skipped ahead to 95. So I'm going to try and catch some of my 94 watching up to make this fit in with what I'm watching as well. Um, we're also going to look at a hardcore TV up against Raw before Nitro starts, so sometime in 94. And then we're going to be looking at a the Raw and Nitro on the night Goldberg wins the title in the Georgia Dome, and the Mick Foley title win up against the Finger Poke of Doom, as requested by Richie. Oh, speaking of listeners, one last thing. It appears... Um, that there is someone in Sao Paulo, Brazil, that has listened to every episode of the show, and someone in Lisbon, Portugal, that has listened to every episode of the show. So if you're listening to this one, shout out. Very cool to have people listening from all over the world. Fascinating to me anyway. And I, you will hear from me again probably sometime next week with the next show. Thank you very much for listening as always.